Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are intelligent. You make all the right decisions. You were smart before smart was cool, and you made it cool again. You have a wealth of knowledge, and you are so very clever. <laughs> I bet you already knew I was going to say that, you genius. There, don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you hear you could save big when you switch to Progressive. But I'm pretty sure you already knew that, too. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today I have with me Amandeep Sandhu, who's written this book, Punjab Journeys Through Fault Lines. So Amandeep, and this is a big, fat, thick book, and it's like very absorbing, and it's full of like, it's deeply researched. So Aman, how long did it take you to do this book? Well, the timeline of my journey is, uh, to take the word from the from the title itself, hmm. uh, was about three years. Okay. But uh, you've seen the book. It it actually took me almost all my life to write it because I go back and forth yeah. in time here. How was Punjab in my childhood? Comparing it with the Punjab that I'm seeing now. Uh, yeah. I, I traveled between end of 2015 till elections 2017, state elections. Yeah. Hmm. And then the writing took another year. Like you said, uh, it's taken your whole life and you've like put, you've put a lot of yourself into the book, you know. And so what you've done is that you've, it's deeply researched and you've like, you know, and you've done a lot of legwork, but there's also a lot of personal stuff in it. So, you know, I was wondering how difficult that was. Now, see, what happened is when I was uh, going into the field and I was actually talking to people, uh, trying to understand Punjab, because as I say in the book as well, Punjab itself was a hole in my heart. You know, I didn't really know how to make sense of all these various um, images and uh, messages that Punjab keeps sending out to the world. Uh, So some of my media friends, uh, Caravan, Scrawl, Business Line, uh, these people said that, okay, why don't you file stories for us? You know, so I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's a good mm-hmm. thing to do because it also gives me a little handle on how the book is shaping up, you know. And uh, so I wrote uh, mm-hmm. pieces in that those three years. Uh, then mm-hmm. um, I realized, why am I writing a book? I mean, I have written these stories already. What's the point of making a book out of them? You know, mm-hmm. and... That's where I realized that the gap actually is that most of these stories are timely, but they do not give the context of why are things the way they are. You know, with Punjab, we have a very prescriptive model. You know, Punjab should do this. Punjab should do that. You know, Mm -hmm. look at uh, right now going on the straw burning thing, which happens in in Delhi screams that Punjab smoke is coming. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, we are not seeing why is Punjab unable to do something that Mm. seems perhaps so obvious, you know. So you need to draw out the contextual history of everything that I was talking about in my stories about Punjab. Mm. But then I looked at, okay, here is uh, 
travel pieces. Here is uh, contextual history. A book of that nature would have been more like a textbook. You know, it wouldn't really have been the nonfiction I wanted to write. And that is why I brought in my own memoir in that sense into it to set up the, con- the contrast between the Punjab I had imbibed as a child and the Punjab I was now seeing. And somewhere between the travelogue, the contextual history and the memoir, uh, the book seems to come together. You know, So that is why there is me also in it. Uh, I'm also a writer of autobiographical fiction. So, you know, uh, that's only that's a good way, I think, of being able to tell somebody what I am seeing or how I'm feeling. And in that process, hopefully take the reader with me as also. You've done a lot of research on it, but since you're an insider outsider, you know, in the sense of like right in the beginning, you mentioned like there's this pa- uh, paragraph, I think early on in the book where you say, uh, unlike people born in Punjab who have a direct connection with and hence a memory of the land, I have no liminal or t- tangible marker of belonging to Punjab. While my family did hail from Punjab, I was neither born here nor do I live here. I have no address, bank statement, Aadhaar card, passport or land ownership to prove my connection with Punjab. Within the Indian Union, a lot of people, a lot of us don't live in our home states, but feel very strongly, identify very strongly with wherever our our parents came from. But you've you've managed to go deep despite that handicap, if you can call it a handicap. So talk about that. Yeah, so... Uh, see, there are. <clears throat> I, I find these artifacts of citizenship quite flimsy, actually. Um, though I know that there is a big pressure mm-hmm. to produce artifacts of citizenship today, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, I think we are ignoring a whole generation of yours and mine, and uh, the coming generations mm-hmm. where parents, when India was uh, came to freedom from the British, and uh, uh, mm. A whole generation of our parents, they moved around the whole country, you know, to take up jobs yes. in the central government services, to, yes. through army, through public sector mm. uh, enterprises. And there was a lot of internal migration. And we then were born in places where yes. it were not our home states, you know. And uh, there is yeah. that diasporic quality to it. But that diasporic quality is also in some ways haunting because... Uh, Punjab sends a message and uh, I don't understand what it is mm-hmm. about, you know. Like, for example, right now, the farmer protests mm-hmm. that are going on there, you know. So many columnists mm-hmm. sitting everywhere in the country are telling Punjab, oh, you should not be protesting, oh, you should be protesting, you know, this and that and all sorts of ideas. But I'm like, come mm-hmm. look at the farmer, let us see their life, what it is like. And try to understand it from their point of view, what makes them protest, you know, or why have they been protesting? Yeah. There has, at one level, Punjab is producing grain for the country. In, in the beginning of the Green Revolution, 60% of the central pool was provided by Punjab, and now it is about 30%. Mm. And uh, yes. yet it has been protesting on agrarian issues for decades now. So what is really happening, mm. you know? So for a diaspora, it would be, this is a green revolution state, or we are the granary of the country. But there are 16,000 suicides happening among farmers and laborers. You have to go, yes. I, will, I felt that I have to go 
meet those families, talk to them, understand the reasons why Punjab. And I realized that there is a lot of discontent in Punjab, you know, and mm-hmm. Punjab is disquiet. It is restive um, and it is not mm-hmm. getting a direction. And this mm-hmm. understanding would not have come if I were to look at it only from either a distance or through what comes out about Punjab in various forums, you know. And that is why I thought it seems like a like a work which is done with some amount of sincerity in that sense, you know. <laughs> yeah, and because I, I really um, see because of the political nature of history or what has happened in the last few decades, mm. including the militancy period, mm. uh, uh, there are a lot of Punjab is actually a landmine of narratives, and anybody you talk to, they can take three hours to five hours telling you their point of view, which is you could could be pro India, could be anti India, could be pro Sikh, anti Sikh, whatever you know. And I realized that I didn't want to sit in a shade of a tree and write this book. I wanted to actually walk through Punjab to understand Punjab and not push somebody else's point of view of what Punjab is uh, to the reader, you know. And so, so so, that's why it has that nature of insider-outsider, because here I can tell you how Punjab seems, but I can also tell you what Punjab feels like. And that was important for me to capture. It happened with me. I was called by a policy institute to speak to them about Punjab, and I just did a random you know, query. I said, okay, tell me one word that comes to your mind when you hear the word Punjab. And it was fascinating mm-hmm. why words that came up, you know, like there is Sufi, there is Sikh, there is Guru, there is Langar, there is terrorism, there is Bhindrawale. And I'm like, how do they sit with each other? How does terrorism sit with Langar, for example? You know, it, it ah. you know, so there is a deep contradiction mm-hmm. here. And yet it is the same place which is generating these two views, you know, like, uh, so I wanted to explore the, the gaps between these words in that sense. You know? So I, I say yeah. in the book also that it's like you like Punjab's hand, but you don't like the whole arm, you know, it's like you like yeah. my feet, but you don't like my leg. I wanted to, <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I wanted to create the kind of book I wanted to read about Punjab. On it, there are many, many books on Punjab, but each study is either politics or it is economic or it is agrarian um, water mm. issue. You know, like there are these various books that are there, but there's no book which is wholesome at one place. You get a sense of a state. And actually, yes. I, I want to see such a book on Kerala, for example. I want to see such a book on Odisha, for example. No. I think... Uh, yes. We are living in those times where these uh, local flavors are being squished into some kind of a unitarian nation. And we must reclaim ourselves by at least putting out who we are as people, you know, from different states or different uh, linguistic mm-hmm. groups or whatever, religions or castes or mm-hmm. gender, you know, like so. You know, the, the, the wound of 1984, you've kind of, you've, you've dealt with that as well. And how, and, and the kind the place that it has in the Punjabi psyche 
you know both uh, the diaspora and the state and and um, punjabis within living within india you know so talk about that because that's something that will not go and you you speak about how we need to you know like committees like the you know truth and reconciliation committees that other nations have had but we don't seem to have that sort of thing at all we push everything under the carpet and hope it just goes away how can it go away so talk about this no not only go away it has uh, what happened uh, in say the anti sikh program these are still those days you know it's the 36th yeah. anniversary that has later on been templatized yes. and used again in 92 it has been used in 2002 it has become a template for riots in uh, in the country you know it was done even in delhi in the end of february this year you know like so uh, and that is uh, ghastly it should not happen see 1984 mm. for my generation at least uh, particularly mm. for me is a watershed moment in my life you know we were just mm. i was just becoming an adolescent i was just about to open my eyes to see the world to understand what is going on yeah. and this big year happens 1984 including the attack on darbar sahib operation blue star and then mrs gandhi's assassination and then uh, the anti program that followed and then the denial of justice for the last 36 years so you know um, mm. it is um, in that sense 84 is to my mind what partition was to my previous generation you know my mm. father was exactly the same age when partition happened as i was when 84 happened and it just marks you it just uh, it completely alters the way you look at the world then you know and uh, it is a pain mm. which needs to be addressed in the interest of the larger nation we need to address this pain because we are just every year we are mm. scraping the same wounds and bleeding ourselves <clears throat> for the next generation now it has become a matter of intergenerational trauma and mm. we need to address this we need to heal ourselves heal india in the interest of justice humanity everything unless we sort that sort mm. that out uh, we are not going to be able to progress that's true but the thing is that i don't see any governments come and go but i don't see anything actually happening about 1984 you know we just keep talking about it but at the same time we need to realize that for a place like punjab history is quite cyclical mm. in that sense you know because see as mm. i we talk in the book also punjab the larger punjab was the gateway of the subcontinent you know so yes. for for many millennia punjab has been caught in various kinds of strife and attacks and um, struggles you know and uh, these don't seem to go away like look at right now what is happening you know punjab is running out of coal supplies it has finally run out of coal supplies uh, power cannot be generated the chief minister of punjab wants to meet the president the president does not give time to the chief minister you know this is deja vu 1982 when the dharam yudh morcha started when the river waters yes. issue had started in punjab i mean not yeah. only are we not healing the wounds of 84 we are actually mm. perpetuating the same kind of atrocities on the people and how do you make sense of it you know 
what should yeah. punjab do you know as people what should the sikh community do then um, what should yeah. the hindus in punjab do what should the muslims christians do there you know so mm-hmm. this, is, this remains a it's just a festering wound which i'm hoping that the book can start some dialogue and we can come together and at least start helping ourselves you know and your chapter on caste uh that's that's a remarkable chapter you know so talk about that you know and especially as you, the the bit when the old man asks you what your last name is and you say sandhu and you're embarrassed by it you know so talk about all that yeah so no so see uh, one key way of understanding punjab is that it is in a double bind you know mm-hmm. there is this matter of the relationship between punjab and delhi or the center you know uh, that is something that we mm-hmm. have talked about already but there is also the matter of internal contradictions in punjab you know for example the sikh mm-hmm. religion was envisaged as mm-hmm. an equal and just religion and yet we have yes. 31.9% dalit population in punjab it boggles mm. my mind why do we have caste in punjab once the religion is created yes. 350 years have passed you know we should have weeded out caste completely from this land and yet yes. the caste lines are so strong and the the battle for the land the panchayati land which is going on in southern part of punjab mm. uh, which mm. i talk about uh, in the book as well you know uh, mm. that uh, is a daily struggle for dalits and discrimination is not only at this level it's also at the level that the complete power of the state is vested in the hands of the juts the land owning caste in punjab you know uh, we have not had a chief minister since 1966 who was not a jut you know uh, 25% people almost 100% power uh, this is inequality you know and uh, while punjab needs to address its relationship with the center it also needs to understand its internal uh, contradictions um, similar to caste is the whole space of gender you know and uh, i'd like to bring it up again and again because uh, uh, patriarchal feudal society women yes. have to really fight for autonomy you know uh, mm-hmm. to be heard you know and uh, that again does not sit well with me because this was supposed to be a unisex religion you know there were the mm. gurus made no distinction between men and women and then why is this patriarchy mm. so much here why do women have to struggle so hard and it it shows up in their lives it shows up in the choices they make in the decisions they take um, in how they mm. organize themselves we haven't had a single big women's movement in punjab in the last 50 70 100 years you know mm-hmm. why is that mm-hmm. you know it's only in these protests that thousands of women have come out actually just before these farmer protests there was another struggle for against microfinance companies in which again thousands of women came out so it is mm-hmm. changing on the ground but it is mm-hmm. lot needs to be done here you know like so caste and gender are are punjab's internal contradictions which it needs to address and uh, it was interesting how you know you bring out the fact that because because of this contradiction the deras have uh, proliferated you know so talk about that yeah so 
the data is also a complex phenomenon in that sense because uh, hmm. uh, yes, they they work on the sense of discrimination that other castes feel against the Jats uh, in the regular hmm. Sikh Gurdwaras and in the temples also, in the Hindu temples hmm. as well. You know, uh, uh, hmm. But there is also there are also other elements involved here. There is also support to such uh, deras coming up. At one time, somebody studied and there were 9,000 big and small deras in Punjab. You know? Though around four or five of them are quite big. Uh, the rest of them are very small ones. Um, but uh, the five deras we talk about in the book uh, not only had political clout, they had economic clout, they had uh, all sorts of uh, things going on. And interestingly, mm. almost all of them are run either by Jat Sikhs or by Brahmins. <laughs> so here is yes, a, yes, you know, so, so that is That's also a word. But it's not weird. It's huh. how power works. This is how society is, uh, is organized, you know. Yeah, that's the irony of it. No? And that's the irony of caste struggle as well or of emancipation as well. You know, uh, hmm. why are they not headed and organized by uh, what are called the lower caste people? They should be, but they are not. Hmm. You know? And hmm. uh, so I think maybe Dera Balla uh, is not headed by an upper caste, but Radha Swami, Ram Rahim, hmm. um, yeah. that one, Ashutosh Maharaj, you know, all of them are headed by upper caste people. Hmm. That's Amandeep Sandhu, author of Punjab, Journeys Through Fault Lines. Join us for part two of our conversation, where he talks about the fallout of the Green Revolution, casteism, and the great need to address Punjab's issues if the Indian nation is to move ahead and prosper. This was a Hindustan Times production, brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.